Delhi spoke about, it, it wasn't the fact that um, Peter, it was Peter, wasn't it? Sank. It was the fact that he got out of the boat and tried to walk. Um, you know, he had that much faith he could go and do that. So that's where we got up to. And this week we are up to the sixth sign, um, which is the blind man who was born blind and then healed by Jesus. Um, so let's start looking at John chapter 9. We're going to start at verse 1. Um, we're not going to read the whole chapter because it is 40-odd verses. Um, and to be fair, when I started looking at it, I was like, there is a lot in this chapter. So we're just going to look at the first few verses of John chapter 9 um, together. And it says this, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me whilst it is day. Yeah, sorry. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. He anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and he said to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. And he went and washed, and he came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before he, as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and washed. So I went and washed and received my sight. And we thank God for that miracle that Jesus did. And we thank him for um, John putting it in scriptures so that we can learn something from it. So, Jesus and his disciples are out for a walk, and they come across a blind man. And the disciples, being inquisitive chaps that they are, decided to ask Jesus a question. Now, we know the disciples... Oh, sorry. So he asked Jesus a question. Was it this man or his parents who sinned which caused his blindness? Now, we know the disciples weren't known for their tact. You know, and if I was a betting man, I'll bet that it was Peter that actually asked this question because he was great at asking ridiculous questions and making ridiculous statements that Jesus taught amazing things from and also we can then learn from his mistakes. Um, and at the time, I'm sure they were generally trying to learn and grow from the Lord with these types of questions. But the thing is, this guy, guy who was blind, he wasn't deaf. You know, and he could probably hear every word that's been spoken about him. They're walking past him, and they're accusing him of being a sinner, or that he has come from a sinful family. And they must be say, they're saying that there must be something so bad in his life, or in his parents' life, that God has seen fit to punish him by blinding him. Good job, guys. Go win this man with love. But despite their indiscretion, what the disciples were asking turns out to be an important question. It may not be the right question, as we'll go on to see, but the question that is asked over and over again, whose fault is it? Or, why is there suffering in life? 
For many of us, we may have reached the point, or we know someone who has reached the point, where life is so bad that we have just looked to blame someone, or even ourselves, in an attempt to find a logical answer to the situation. Could it be unexpectedly losing a family member, whether they be a child or an adult? Having to deal with a long-term illness in ourselves or in a family member? Um, or even a sudden short-term illness that just comes out of the blue? Um, what about struggling to conceive? You know, you want a baby so bad, and yet the doctors are saying there's nothing wrong with you. And the doctors are saying there's nothing wrong with your partner, but it, for whatever reason, it's just not happening. And in those dark moments, you sink, sit and think, what did I do wrong? What have I done that it means that I'm missing out on God's blessing? Or even worse still, why is God out to get me? And by human logic, that's a fair question. Sometimes, something's, something's wrong, so it must be my fault or someone else's fault. And it's the same question that the disciples are asking here. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind? Who likes those two options of it being his fault or his family's fault? They're not great options. But the problem with this question is not only is it resulting in bad options, it's simply the wrong question to ask in this situation. And Jesus being Jesus doesn't let them slip past, doesn't let this slip past. He comes in with some corrective kingdom teaching. Because Jesus' reply was this. It is not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God might be done, might be displayed in him. You see, when we have a situation where we are facing suffering, we can look at it two ways. Karma or kingdom. Now, I'm sure we've all got an idea of what karma is. Um, the idea that our actions build up and display themselves within our lives. If I'm a good person, I will have good things happen to me. And if I'm a bad person who does bad things, then bad things will happen to me. Now, when we look at this man, surely he can't have been bad. He was blind from birth. Now, unless he kicked really hard in the womb, or wriggled and giggled and tickled inside his mummy's tummy so that she couldn't get any sleep. Yes, I have been reading The Little Old Lady Who Swallowed a Fly um, to Josiah, not to myself. Um, but she didn't get a week, wink of sleep during the pregnancy. Then surely this man must have been blameless. So then, not him, it must have been his parents. And that their sin must have been so bad that they would be punished through their son. You know, this man, because he was blind... He would have been a burden to the family. You know, he wouldn't have been able to help raise the household as he grew up if it had younger siblings. Um, he wouldn't have been able to follow in his father's footsteps of learning a trade and earning money to help support the family. Um, in fact, like, he would have struggled to get married, which meant that he would have been in his parents' home for his whole life. And he would have been a burden on them, you know, having to be clothed, having to be fed, um, until he died. Um, and the problem with karma is that if we look at someone and say, well, their suffering must be their fault, then why would we bother to help someone else? If it's your fault you're suffering, why, why should I help you? 
If we believe that their problems are their fault, then surely if I interfere in their problems, then I'm stopping them from doing the good works they need to do to become good again. Or you might think of it as, well, if I'm helping them, then am I becoming a bad person because I'm helping a bad person? And what happens is that if we do that, there's a flip side as well. That, well, if I want to lead a good life and be a good person, then surely I'll only help the good people. Because God is obviously, they're doing the right thing, so they're obviously being blessed, so I'm going to help them. And what we end up with is a society where the good get gooder. Is that a word, gooder? My wife's shaking her head, so it's not a word. But you get, the, you get what I'm saying. The, the good get better, and the bad get worse. And we end up with this chasm in society. Um, but Jesus didn't tell the disciples to follow the karma route, because Jesus preaches kingdom. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, Jesus' answer to the disciples is not who to blame, but what can be done. Because Jesus can see in this, instant that it's, in this instance that it's not an issue of sin, but it's an issue of suffering. Now, when we look at the circumstances through a kingdom, kingdom perspective, we can open up a whole load of different reasons as to why someone may be suffering. You know, first reason could well be that it is their own sin that has caused this problem. You know, for example, if you're someone who's really lazy and likes eating loads of food, you know, you have five burgers a day and you just sit around watching TV and do nothing and then eventually, over time, you end up in hospital with heart problems and you sit in there and you're thinking, hmm, maybe those five burgers a day wasn't a good idea. Um, but clearly, you know, for this blind man, it wasn't his fault. Or sometimes it could be some sort of generational sin or consequences from what has happened um, in the family. You know, for example, if, if the blind man's dad was a violent father and you know, hit the mother, then that could have caused some sort of birth defect which led to the blindness. Um, but what about if we just, you know, the fact that we just live in a broken world? Adam and Eve sinned and they broke the connection between themselves and God. Create, and creation as a whole. Ever since then, nothing's been right, and basically, we are just things just aren't the way they're supposed to be. Or what about? There's, there's quite a few examples, by the way. Um, what about if it's just demonic attack? You know, what about if if we look at the life of someone like Job? You know, the Bible says he was a good man, and he was generally on the right side, the good. He's not done anything majorly wrong, yet he loses everything. And when his friends get around him, they ask him, you know, what have you done, Job, to bring this suffering on yourself? And Job, basi Job basically says, I may not be perfect, but I've not done anything that deserves this. You know, jo Job isn't suffering because he's a bad man, but because he's a good man. And finally, what about the sin of others? which could have caused the suffering. You know, a drunk driver mounts the curb and knocks you down on your way home from work. It's not your fault that you're suffering. It's not fault that you're, you've ended up in prison. It's because they have sinned, and yet you are suffering the consequences of that sin. You were just simply in the wrong place at the wrong time. And you've become a victim 
And in life, there are so many victims around us where they have suffered the consequences of someone else's sin. Now the, reason now, the difference between karma and kingdom thinking is that other than just giving a whole load of reasons why someone might be suffering, is how we react to those circumstances. If we just look at someone and say, it's your fault, you need to deal with it, that would be karmic. Karmic thinking. However, if we look at them and see the suffering and offer compassion, that is kingdom. Here Jesus has been presented with a man, his disciples, with a man. His disciples have asked who the sinner here is. And Jesus replies with an answer that's basically, he's not bad, he's just broken. Now, we know there are bad people in the world, and they really need Jesus. You know, but unlike Saul on the road to Damascus, sometimes they just need to be introduced to Almighty God in a powerful way before they would ever give up the riches of earth and follow him. But in this world around us, there are many, many more broken people. People who are sick, people who are hungry, people who are lost, tired, and they're living on the poverty line who need the healing and the compassion of Jesus through his church. Okay, don't put your hands up for this one, but, you know, who here has had or heard of a bad pastoral situation where someone has gone to the church for help and ended up being condemned for some perceived sin in their lives. Instead of being offered compassion, they were offered judgment. And instead of being healed, they have walked out more broken than they went in. Some who just needed help and ended up being battered down with religious rules and made to feel like everything is their own fault. And this is why Jesus is so much better than religion. He doesn't look at why the man's, of the why of the man's situation. He asks, how? How can we use this circumstance of suffering and change it into a demonstration of the power of the kingdom? You know, we've all suffered in life. Um, some have suffered more than others. Um, and whilst we're suffering, and, sorry, we've all suffered enough. And the question we ask while suffering can make a difference to our future testimonies and demonstrate the power of the kingdom to the world. If we ask why and blame ourselves, we can sit around and mope. And please don't think I'm belittling mourning or anything like that. That's different. But moping and just dwelling on why me. Um, but if we ask, how can I use these circumstances to demonstrate God's power? How can I use these circumstances to demonstrate the kingdom. We allow God to give us a testimony where we can speak into the lives of others and support them and encourage them through their tough times and show them God's love for them and win them to him. I do need this. So, how and when can we glorify God through suffering? There's probably loads more reasons than what I'm about to give. And these are just a few that I thought of. And even this morning, as I was thinking on this again, I started thinking up more. And I, I do encourage you to, you know, to think for yourselves. There's a thought. Um, but say for, your, say, for example, you have caused your own suffering. Um, how can you glorify God in that circumstances? You've sinned, 
and you're suffering the consequences of that, how can you glorify God when you're the one that has caused the suffering? Well, the first thing to do is repent. Let's turn away from the things that have done wrong and, towards, and turn towards God. And when we turn away from sin and towards God, that glorifies him. And it starts to bring hope and healing in our lives. Or what about sharing your testimony among believers? Even if the circumstances you're suffering are not your fault, you can still share a testimony of God's goodness through your suffering. Now, there are people amongst us who have suffered in terrible ways. Um, and it's not for me to start sharing other people's testimonies. But the thing that I can share is how much strength they have brought me and how much hope and joy they have brought me through being able to testify of God's goodness during those times. Yes, they've been heartbroken. Yes, and they've had the right to be angry. And you could even, you know, almost justify them becoming bitter over it, but they haven't. They've continued to praise God, even in those dark times. They've continued to worship. And it's not belittling the circumstances they're going through, but they are that we've been able to work through it. And their testimonies have then given strength to the rest of the church. They looked to God, they found hope, and they believed God was bigger than the circumstances they were currently facing. And by they are able to share their testimony with others who suffer, and they can even share with people that have suffered like they do. And even when sharing brings back those memories and some of that pain, they can still bring comfort to others and the church. And the church can see them come through their circumstances and be strengthened and encouraged by people who ran to God rather than running away when everything was going wrong. Um, another way to glorify God during our suffering is to be a witness to the world around us. We're being watched all the time. And it's easy to be a witness at work when things are going well. But what about when times are tough? What about when your boss is some terrible monster who always seems to have it in for you? Do we find a dark corner and gossip about them? Do we undermine them by questioning their decisions in front of everyone else? To be down tools and do the bare minimum. Just, sorry, I've, got, I've just looked up and seen people really smiling at me at this, and I'm like, okay. Um, but, you know, do we down tools and do the bare minimum to do our job so we don't get in trouble, but they're not progressing in what they should be doing? Or do we become like Joseph, who, despite being sold as a slave, went on to become the head of Potiphar's household? Or do we become like David, who, despite having death threats, still went and played his heart to soothe Saul? Um, and what about someone who gets a promotion over us? Do we resent them for getting a new, the job that we believe that we deserve? Or do we support them and help them grow into their new role so that it's to the benefit of the company that we work for? How we react in circumstances like these will help inform others, um, help inform others' opinions of us, and in turn demonstrate our relationship with God. Um, also, the the other th um, the thing that I literally thought of this morning was, you know, how do we um, deal with suffering together as a community? Because again, we're being watched. 
And if we can show the world that, you know, when someone's suffering, we come together as a community and we look out for each other and we pray for each other and we support each other, whether it's looking after each other's kids or taking food baskets or just, you know, being there and listening to someone in their time of need, you know, that becomes a testimony that we can share with the world around us and show them that the church is more than just a bunch of people that turn up on a Sunday, sit in seats, sing songs, listen to someone talk, and go home. And finally, another way to demonstrate, to glorify God through suffering, is to demonstrate his power. You know, in John 9, verse 6, yes, we're back to the verses, um, having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud, and said to him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus physically demonstrates the power of God to alleviate this man's suffering. And you see, and finally so did the blind beggar, Jesus wasn't prepared to leave this as a talking teaching moment. He wanted to use it to demonstrate the power of God in a real and practical sense in the life of the blind man. So he made mud, rubbed it in the man's eyes, and told him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, earlier, I said the disciples were a bit, you know, indiscreet, talking about the blind man's sin. Jesus is telling a blind man to go and find the pool of Siloam. Okay. Um, you know, this guy can't see. He's never been able to see. How on earth... Is he going to wander off and find the pool of Siloam? If we were to presume that Jesus and his disciples were in near the temple at the time, um, the pool of Siloam was about 600 metres away. Now, I don't know about you, if I was blind, I couldn't even make my way out to the car park. But to go 600 metres downhill and find a pool of water, that would be very difficult. But, um, but Jesus didn't make it easy for him. But what Jesus did do to him was give him the opportunity to be obedient. And through his obedience, God's power, and God's power, he received his sight. Now, this miracle wasn't just another miracle that Jesus did. Um, the reason John includes it in the gospel is before Jesus, no one had actually healed a blind person in the Bible. This is the first time, if you don't count, if you put it in order with all the other gospels, that someone is healed from blindness. And he did it because it fulfills a prophecy from Isaiah. Because in Isaiah 35, it says this. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong and fear not. Behold your God. Behold your God will come with vengeance. With a recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the death unstopped. Then, the, then shall the lame men leap like deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For the waters break forth in the wilderness, and the streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty grounds, of, thirsty grounds springs of water. In the haunted jackals they will lie down, and the grass will become reeds and rushes. So Jesus healed the man, and from then on, that man was able to share his testimony. And what a testimony he had. Not that he was a beggar anymore. Not that he was blind. But simply that once he was blind, and now he can see. 
And the man who healed him was a man called Jesus. And so when we come across suffering in our lives or the lives of others, let's look at the situation with a kingdom perspective. Let's not think why, but, let's, but how can God's kingdom come in this situation? Can we bring a testimony to bring comfort and strength to others? Or can we demonstrate the power to bring healing and life to someone else? Thank you.